0: is fun, and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee.
1: And my name is Tony, and I live in the northwest of England.
0: Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences, and Tony has his. Perhaps
1: together we can find some common ground to
0: share with you.
1: The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't.
0: I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or MacOS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest, episode 13, recorded on the 10th of May, 2020. For this show, Tony is reviewing Q4OS, I've got Ubuntu Mate 20.04, and we have a special guest, Leo Chavez from Mintcast, doing a review of Fedora 32. We are all practicing physical distancing in the era of COVID-19, and I can assure you that we are more than six feet apart. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, Arch, Suzy, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gentoo-based distros. This is our magic 13th episode. We've made it this far. Still lots more fun to have. And we're going to start
2: by having fun with our friend Leo. What's new with you, Leo? I'm, I'm honestly appreciative that you guys brought me on for the magic 13th episode. Uh, but with me, honestly, just trying to stay safe and healthy. I, I think that's like a full-time job at this point. All this new normal stuff takes some getting used to. I've been coping with copious amounts of hand sanitizer and curbside pickup. Uh, I've reignited my love for Legos, uh, something I thought I'd lost, now that my daughter is getting interested in them. Um. Also, I've uh I recently purchased a Raspberry Pi four, and it'll be coming my way one of these days. With the loss of two days shipping, I've come to terms with the waiting. It's almost like mini Christmases, but you don't quite know when, uh, because you don't quite know when things will show up.
1: I love Christmas.
2: Ah, uh, like, and it's like <laughs> every every week or so, there's something that shows up that we'd forgotten that we ordered.
1: No, 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 no! Every few days, I'm getting packages.
2: Oh man! And, and, <laughs> and on get- top of
0: that, yes, the the delivery services have gone back to what used to be the normal before Amazon shoved everyone into one day service.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I and I love I love when you get shipments like that because you have to open it twice. Once to open up the brown box, and then once again to open up whatever box you get uh, out of the package. So, yeah, mm. and usually the brown box is about four times bigger than it should be. Oh, of course, right? Filled with newspaper or that the bubble, the bubble packing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I'm on board with the health stuff. Being between playing pinball in traffic on April 14th and having my lower left jaw swell up two days ago, health is certainly on my mind. I hope I don't talk funny in this episode. I've been mostly staying home and applying for jobs. I also finished a few stack skills courses, so I'm a lot less of a noob than I've ever been.
1: Tony? It looks like it's all about health at the moment. (laughs) When I'm not trying to chop my fingers off, I'll be in a lot better position. I had a bit of a kitchen accident. I've still got the scar to prove it on my middle finger. And uh, for those of you who hand wash the dishes, Please don't go diving in between the washing up bowl and the sink if you've got to can lid in between the two. It can be very bloody. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> Other than that, and uh, my back playing up, I'm, I'm not too bad for an aging Brit.
0: <laughs> With a new chair.
1: With a new chair.
0: I'm a little jealous. Monthly foibles where we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. First off, we would like to welcome Leo to the show. What marvelous things have you been up to over the past month, Leo?
2: Spending some time outside in the Texas sun for a few days. Honestly, the Texas sun tries to melt you. So <laughs> there, there's a couple of weeks, I think, in, uh, that, that you get where the sun is not trying to murder you. And, and, and we're squarely in that right now. So I spend a lot of time outside uh, dealing with my garden. I've got a few herbs, vegetables, and flowers out there that I'm trying not to kill. And, of course, spending a lot of time in the kitchen and on the grill uh, where I'm trying to nail down a few recipes. Uh, except my oven broke. So we think it's the heating element. Uh, The broiler works, that that heating element will glow red hot, but when we turn on just the regular oven where it's heating from the bottom, we never see that heating element glow. So I assume that's the issue, but a $48 purchase is what it's going to take to fix that. We hope we'll find out soon enough. But uh, as far as technology goes, fedora. Lots and lots of fedora. The only thing I didn't do with fedora was wear it. As a daily driver and as an experiment to see whether or not I could live on this distro if I had to. And, well, a true attempt to be persuaded. I went into this asking, could Fedora beat out Ubuntu in the easy and just works factor for me? I never thought I'd actually write or talk out a review over this uh, until we brought it up, uh, until we brought up the prospect of the show. I'm sure we can get you a t-shirt. I'll take it. I'll wear it. Ooh, because I, I have a Red Hat shirt already. I'll just add it to the collection. I've always been a Debian derivative kind of guy. Uh, my NAS is Debian. My Nextcloud setup is uh, is is a snap on Ubuntu. Uh, I've got Ubuntu on my website, uh, or my website's run on Ubuntu. My VM host, my desktop is a form of uh, Ubuntu in the form of Linux Mint. And My laptop is right now is running Kubuntu. So I dove into Fedora a couple of months ago because I knew how stable people kept saying it was. I mean, you you see it everywhere on this forum, that forum. Everybody's saying Fedora's amazing. So I figured there's no way a group can stay together as long as Fedora has and the various way Fedora has manifested without being worth a decent amount of perspective. Mine is, well, technically, a perspective. Moss?
0: Well, you gotta say they also have Red Hat's money there, so that could keep them going a bit. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that helps, but only recently they've they've stuck together for longer than Red Hat's been funding them.
0: yeah, well, anyhow, I got in a really bad car accident and was very lucky to walk away from it. I still don't have full use of my right arm. the shoulder is still a bit locked up and various other pain points. this also entailed me becoming unemployed, so I've filed and been approved for a paltry sum per week, but I have noticed I'm starting to get the uh, bonuses that unemployment uh, said we'd have a uh, $600 bonus, sure beats 141 a week. I don't know that it's going to continue, but they said it would. I, there are so many different things out there as far as what is and isn't going to happen in this new normal, or how long the new normal is going to last until we get back to the old normal. So anyhow, I think Tony and I are swapping our cats for extra chances, slicing off this, banging off that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just drink, twigged what you meant by our, extra, our cats for extra chances. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using
0: Kubuntu, Sabayon, and the distro I'm reviewing this month in addition to Ferran OS, Linux Mint, OpenMandriva, LX 4.1, and Bodhi. Fedora was suggested, but I did not get through the installer with enough confidence to pull the trigger. I have decided that the Galago Pro 2 is just not the machine I need as my main machine, but I should be able to swap it for something more like I need. I need to see if my little box I inherited from my old friend can carry me until I can get something. I actually got it set up with Mint yesterday, much to my surprise, and I'm looking to clone the M2 SSD in the Galago Pro if I can. My first try left me disappointed, but Cryptodan gave me something to try, which I'll probably do later today. I'm looking for a 15.6 or 17-inch ThinkPad with an i7 and 16 gig of RAM. Any old internal drive will do, but if this box works, I may just upgrade it as needed. And the Kudu is still a wonderful machine. What about you, Tony?
1: Oh, well, as usual, um, I'm not doing too bad. So when I can use, uh, u- or could use me hand again, <laughs> I've been baking bread and some scones and cakes Uh, I made the uh, fruit and cheese scones. On the US side of the pond, you probably referred to the cheese cheese ones as biscuits, but in the UK, sweet or savoury, they're still scones. Um, And as I had... um, an ageing and not very good PC chair as we've already uh, heard or it's been kind of muted that I uh, decided that it needed an upgrade so I ordered a new uh, PC chair and it arrived on Wednesday so now I can podcast in a little bit more comfort. Uh, I'm continuing to play with me models and uh, interact with the Facebook groups that I'm on uh, into uh you know that are into the modelling uh, and restoration hobby. One of one of them, uh, the diecast rescue restoration Dinky Corby Matchbox Lesney, and Spot on Toys page. I've linked in the show notes, but uh, you won't get to see much unless you actually apply to join. So it might not be that much use to anyone. Linux wise, uh, I've recently did an upgrade to my desktop PC as. Uh, People on Mintcast may have remember her in. Uh, I installed an ICY Dock four times two and a half inch um, SSD bay or HDD bay. It meant the removal of all the uh, internal um, drives and the DVD read write uh, rewrite drive because it's only got um, four SATA ports, and the uh, ICY needed the all four of the uh, ports connecting up so I can use all four bays. Hey Tony, how are you
0: liking that? Dale Miracle has been talking about maybe that being the next thing he buys me.
1: It, it actually works really well. I've got I've got three of the bays, um, you know, occupied at the moment. One's got my main Mint 19.3 install on a one terabyte uh, SSD, and then the two of the other bays have got one's got Q4 OS on it, and one's got um, uh, Mint. Uh, no, not Mint. Um, it's got Ubuntu 2004 Marte on it, both for testing purposes. Obviously, uh, Q4AOS was the distro that I'm going to be reviewing this month, so uh, I thought I'd bung that on and see how it went.
0: Yeah, they say that you can use uh, metal drives and SSDs in that.
1: Oh, yeah, you, you you know, you can, you, you can use uh, spinning rust if you want to, but obviously the, you don't get the same speed advantage if you do that.
0: Yeah, we thought you went and got the full-size six bay one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't quite go that far. Well, let's face it, you can have at least four distros on each hard drive that's in there. So, you know, four times four, 16 distros if you want, although I wouldn't be touching the one terabyte anyway. So you got that as a one, and then three others times four, that's 13 distros, isn't it? So there's plenty of wriggle room in there.
0: Yeah, have fun doing your updates.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things I did notice, though, is that it won't work as a data uh you can't put a disk in and just use it as a data drive uh it's got to be it's got to have a distro on it. It's got to be a bootable drive You can't read it otherwise that's interesting, yeah, really
0: interesting. I guess that's what you get a toaster for <laughs> like
1: that <laughs> well, I've got one of that I've got one of them as well yeah, I've got one of them as well well, then you're all set, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, on the lockdown front, I'm continuing to help a few friends with shopping and stuff uh, because they can't get out at the moment due to health issues and stuff like that. Go for my daily walk. Or I might be able to go for two walks after tomorrow, if I want. (laughs) Yeah, our our glorious leader's uh, sharing his... uh, you know, plans for the uh, letting go of the lockdown uh, tonight at seven o'clock on national telly. So I'll be listening to that I thought later. the
0: stats were still going up in the UK. Uh,
1: they are. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying he's going <laughs> to share what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, we're
0: we're having a lot of that here. Uh, the the states that are still having the highest rise are the ones that are trying to get off of the restrictions.
1: As someone, as someone on Facebook keeps pointing out, you know, relaxing the rules just means there's vacancies in IC, uh, ICU, ICU, <laughs> intensive care units. Well, it's all right. All you
0: have to do is what the president said and inject some bleach, and you're good.
1: So anyway, that's enough of uh, what's going on here. Shall we get into okay. the show? <laughs> well, we haven't
0: found any new updates or finds on our previously reviewed distros. So on to this month's first distro, Q Four O S.
1: So just to uh, let you know, uh, this month's uh, distro was mainly run on my Dell 7440 test laptop. Specs are in the show notes. I keep saying it every month, so, but it's basically it's an i7 4th gen with 16GB uh, of RAM and uh, 128 gig SSD in it. Just a heads up, I put uh, the 4.0 uh, R3 uh, release on it which is not stable it's the uh, it's based on debian testing uh, which will become the next stable release in uh, 18 months two years time depending on how quick the release cycle goes currently the latest release is 4.1 on the q4 os website uh, it says Q4 OS 4.1 Gemini is based on the current Debian Bullseye development branch, and it will be in development until Debian Bullseye becomes stable. So that means if you want something that's a little bit more stable, stable go refer back to the 3 3.10 uh, release because that's the long term support with about 5 years of security and other upgrades so um, if you if you're okay about uh, the occasional glitch because it's uh, based on testing then you know I, I i've not found any problems
0: our listeners will probably remember that i did a review of 3.2 some time back
1: Yeah, I think that was either September October last year, wasn't it? Something like that. So anyway, I installed it on the Dell and also on the PC tower just to uh, check out how it uh, dual-booted, and the installation was fine. Uh, Installers are a dream. I don't know what the names of these installers are, but it's a really nice installer to use, and you get all the usual options uh, to install and wipe the current... um, drive that's in there install alongside the current os or do a custom install i can report on the dell that i did have an issue the same issue that i reported last uh, month with lmde of the boot flag not being properly installed but as i knew what was happening this time uh, it was an easy fix i just stuck a uh, usb stick in with Mint 19.3 in it booted into that started up g parted, flagged the uh, drive properly and then on reboot it recognized the uh the drive as a bootable drive on the tower uh i just picked the drive that i wanted to install to uh one of the uh, drives that's in the icy duct, and the drive told it where to put grub which is the main boot drive sda1 and at first boot everything was recognized boot wise so no issues there so, after the first install, the hardware facts and stuff, the only issue I had was the issue of it not flagging that boot drive correctly on the Dell. Other than that, um, which I was able to fix easily, everything was working fine. Tony, uh, go on.
0: This is a feature of Calamaris installer. It's a bug that has been reported and that will presumably be fixed in the next version. Ah. I found some way to not set that boot flag when I installed Sabayon recently, and it actually went through without actually installing boot. So there is a trick to do that. We just haven't figured out what it is. But yeah, that's Calamaris Installer, and it's a lovely installer when it works
1: right. Now, like I said, because I knew what was going on this time, it was a, literally a two-minute fix. It was no problem at all. There was one little niggle with the Dell. Because I'm on Plasma, and the Dell uh, on plasma, it, it it was niggling me for a, a keyring password before it, had, uh, you know, for the Wi-Fi password. Um, so I set a keyring password so that it stored the Wi-Fi password. But it takes about. 30 seconds for it to try starting the Wi-Fi before the keyring password box appears. So the the piece the laptop boots in about 10-15 seconds, but it takes another 30 seconds for the keyring to pop up before I can use the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so Apart from that, the actual PC is up and running dead quick, so uh, it's just a little n- niggle with the uh, way the uh, keyring uh, password box, uh, it, do- it doesn't, until the uh, Wi Fi fails to start, it doesn't pop up the box. So, ease of use, everything works fine. Uh, I've used the laptop continuously for that whole month, and uh, probably a bit longer actually. Uh, using it for Zoom calls, all my portable computing needs, as a Mersey media server. Uh, I talked to you Moss last night on Mumble with it. I've even plugged it into the uh, TV in the living room and used it as a media server so that we could uh, watch some Amazon Prime stuff. I was w- I wanted to watch uh, Picard, and I've currently got a few days left of a three month trial with amazon so i plugged it in everything worked fine audio output onto the hdmi screen worked great so it's brilliant you get all the usual software you need from all the different sources you can go on to flatpak snap usual repos, re- repos that are obviously mainly debian ones but uh, yeah it's great so it was very easy to use application issues didn't have any. <laughs> I can't remember a single application issue apart from the keyring. ring. Uh, memory use. Now, this one was the biggest surprise for me. I installed, like I say, I installed Plasma as the desktop environment, and I was expecting it to use between 800 uh, meg and a gig of RAM at first boot. Nope first boot it shows a paltry 670 meg of ram used when i flashed up neo fetch and very similar figures in all the other things that you can check for RAM usage so it, was, it wasn't it was a glitch with NeoFetch or anything it was uh, pretty well spot on so I'm really impressed this is actually better than Mate on Mint 19.3 which usually flags up between 700 and 750 meg at first boot so the developers have done an amazing job regarding memory management with this distro it's fantastic
0: a lot of people have been talking about this that plasma is all of a sudden a light distro i think they pull some tricks at boot up to move things elsewhere so that they boot using less memory but nonetheless it's very light you might as well just give up your xfce now
2: i can definitely attest to that because it was a year or two ago that i wrote a blog post saying just that and i mean i pitted it up against uh uh, what was it, Lubuntu and Xubuntu or Zubuntu? And yeah, I mean, we're we're talking similar numbers there. It was it was very surprising, and it's 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 the same. I'm on Kubuntu now.
1: Brilliant. So, uh, ease of finding help. Well, I didn't have any problems to go looking for it. You ran uh, Q4OS back in September, October, Moss. So, did you uh, have much interaction with the community?
0: I did a little bit. Uh, they were friendly. They were helpful. Um... There, there seem to be only like two or three developers that are keeping their hats in the ring, so to speak. But um, again, it's, it's based on Ubuntu. Uh, it's based on Debi- nope. Debian, rather. Debian. And there's lots of support out there for Debian. Yeah. So if you have a problem. Now, the one thing I find is that developers really are trying to push people into using the Trinity desktop, which is a fork of, of uh, KDE 3.5. But I found over and over that uh, Trinity just doesn't cut it, but Plasma runs great on it.
1: Mm, yeah, I, like I say, I love it. So, plays nice with others. Well, like I said earlier on, uh, there's no problems at all with um, Grub- uh, once uh, Grub was installed correctly and all the in- installs recognize. Um, on the desktop so I've got no problems with it playing nice with others and what I do love is the boot screen that it installs the text is lovely it's large it's easier to see <laughs> whereas uh, on Marte on my 19.3 box if I've just got that installed on its own I have to <laughs> I have to peer at the screen to <laughs> to look at it <laughs> to see what I'm doing because <laughs> it's just up in the top left uh, left hand corner and there's a few lines and it's quite small but um, on here with uh, w- once uh, q4 os installs scrub you get a really nice uh, clear boot screen that you can navigate pretty well straight away uh, all, all good for my 60-year-old eyes.
0: Yeah, you really have to love the distros that put that extra effort into make sh- making sure that if you have a multi-boot system, your grub screen is still going to be gorgeous instead of just the silly little Ubuntu one line of text up at the top or however many lines of text in tiny type up at the top left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, stability. Again, no issues to report updates have not created any issues uh, on either of the installs so uh, no problems there so my ratings uh, ease of installation i've put it as a 9 out of 10 for new users and experienced users shouldn't have any problems at all so i've given it 10 for them hardware issues 9 out of 10 Uh, i've um, given it 9 out of 10 just because that little niggle with the um Keyring on uh, the Dell. Ease of finding help. uh, Moss has put 8 out of 10, because he's had experience with uh, working with the community, so that's fine. Uh, Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. And stability, 10 out of 10. And they'll give it a 9 out of 10 uh, overall rating.
0: That's quite a bit of stability out of an unstable branch.
1: It's not the unstable branch. It's not Sid. It's the testing branch. So it's in between the, the stable, Buster.
0: Okay, I thought testing came before unstable, but...
1: <laughs> S- yes, yeah, st- SID becomes testing ah. once the release goes out. So it's based on the test, which you think is what Ubuntu do as well. You might know a bit more about that, Leo.
2: Yeah, they they base all of their six-month releases off of the Debian testing branch, and then they take that in, and then they'll start patching those things with the new patches that do come out. But, yeah, the version number stays the same a lot of times.
1: Yeah. So, similar distros. Well, uh, I reviewed LMDE last uh, episode. Uh, MX Linux, that's also a Debian-based system. And, of course, Debian Buster. Uh, final comments. Despite this distribution being based on testing, this is a well-rounded and stable release of uh, Debian-based Linux OS. There is the possibility, if using this over the LTS 3.10 based on Buster, that issues could arise, but uh, no more so than with the uh, interim Ubuntu releases in between their LTS releases. I found it a stable working environment with all the tools I needed to be as productive using this OS as with my regular Mint 19.3 install. A few weeks ago, the Biddle crew were asked to give their opinion of this uh, could be viably rolled out as an OS for government departments in Jamaica uh, with the backing of an IT team. And I would say yes, this is a very good choice for such a deployment, although I would probably recommend using the LTS for the additional stability that offers. But if you need a slightly newer version of software packages and have the IT infrastructure to do testing prior to rolling out updates, then I would suggest... It should be fine for a mission critical working environment as it is. Uh, and for home use, I would have no inte- uh, hesitation in uh, making this my OS of choice if Mint were ever to go away. So, yeah, I'd give it a big thumbs up. So, shall we move on to uh, our special guest? Leo, let's hear what you've got to say for us. All right.
2: So, I spent a lot of time on Fedora. Um, way longer, I think, than, uh, than I think the premise of the show for about a month, right? That's, that's the idea on this show. You spend about a month on a, on a distribution, um, but Fedora 31 is something that I had been testing out for a very long time. Uh, I think 10 weeks is what I clocked it in at, right under 10 weeks. I think it was, you know, like nine weeks and uh, five days or something like that. I didn't have much issue with it at all. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. That's that's one of the biggest things about the, the Fedora foray. I had no idea what to expect. I use uh, CentOS and Red Hat at work. Well, CentOS really at work. Um, so I kind of had an idea, but you know, Fedora is light years ahead of where CentOS is. So, you know, things change and CentOS 7, which is what we normally use, uh, does not have DNF. And that's where Fedora is sitting since Fedora 28 or 29, something like that. They've been on DNF. So, you know, there was a bit of a learning curve. There's no apt there. Uh, You can put it there, but I think it breaks things. So stay away from that. But that was kind of the idea. I was going into this with fresh eyes. So I didn't really have a whole lot of issues outside of just small nitpick kind of things. Like Music Picard. It's a it, this is a piece of software that will take a bunch of MP3s, or well, audio files in general, and apply tags to them so the title is right and the track number is right, all internal to the metadata in the file itself. Um, it makes cataloging really, really easy. When you drag and drop in Fedora 31, that... It didn't work. It would not take the files. But once upgrading to 32, it did. Now, I can't blame this on 32, mostly because I think it was a flat pack update that fixed this. Um, but either way, it seems like during that transition, everything smoothed out. And overall, just dealing with flat packs, or, well, any of the... Uh, the rolling packages like snaps uh, and flat packs are just harder to track unless you know how to deal with the command line and go back in and actually figure out the last time they were updated. Um, Because generally you just get a little notification up at the top of the screen. So it's really not uh, a whole lot that you can figure out. But Fedora 32 that was the point where Fedora really hit its stride for me. Uh, a lot of that is largely because I'm on some newer hardware, namely the AMD RX 5700. Uh, this is one of AMD's newer graphics cards that didn't really fully get support until 5.4 and the 5.5 kernel. Fedora is running on currently, I think as uh, as as early as last night uh, was running on 5.6.8. I should have wrote that down. Don't quote me on that, but it's 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 one of the later 5.6s. So. Full support. Everything works great. So that, that's that's awesome. Yeah, th- that's really just the fault of the kernel, and I, I do appreciate that uh, that that hardware support is there. So you know, it's it's plug and play for me at this point. So the hardware on this build. None of it really changed during my foray with 31 and transition to 32. So this is a, a B350 motherboard paired with a Ryzen 1700 and 32 gigs of RAM. Uh, Fedora lives on a 250, or, I'm sorry, 240 gig SSD uh, and I let Fedora initially auto partition itself. So. One of the things I think that you're going to get into with Fedora is you're going to have to get used to a new installer. There's no calamaris. There's no, uh, what is it, Unity, Ubiquity, whatever that other installer is. Ubiquity. Yeah. Ubiquity, yeah. Th- there's none of that. It is fully new. If you've never seen it before, it's going to be a little daunting. The, the basics is, is there, but when you get into the partitioner, it's something new. So I let it auto partition but since this SSD is on the smaller side I went in and tweaked that a little bit. So what ended up happening was you get a root partition where all your system files go. Fedora decides that you need a separate home partition which is good practice. Um but I like living on the edge. I back up my stuff outside of a partition scheme so I don't I don't really worry too much about it. And uh you get a I said root and home and boot. So there's a boot partition as well. Uh, yeah, you'll need that one. Yeah, so anyway, so I removed off the, the home partition separation and just stuck that in with root. And that left me with 225-ish gigs usable and an eight gig partition for swap. I didn't mess with swap, so it decided I needed eight gigs of swap. So I think the real thing is installation is easy as long as one of two things happen. So rolling into the installation and upgrade section, um, once you do that, I, I think you can figure it out. When, once you get to that, that section, if you have a little bit of experience, I think you can figure it out. But it's easy as long as one of two things happens. So one, that you can figure out If you select your hard drive in the partitioning window, it will select it for installation. So this is the thing that took me the longest to kind of figure out. So you can check it, but it's not your typical checkbox. It's a circle check up in the top right-hand corner where normally you're looking for a checkbox or a radio button or something like that. So that, that is a little different, but I don't think it was a showstopper. Uh, But I think this is where the experience kind of comes in and helps um, if you're trying to muddle your way through that. But once you do that, hit done and you're good. If you're familiar with Linux partitioning in general, you'll get the feeling that even though it's different, a partitioner is a partitioner is a partitioner. You may not be used to it, but Anaconda can be muddled through. Fedora opts to use LVM by default and create separate partitions for root and home, as I mentioned before, and it also creates that swap partition
0: yeah that that's the hard part that i I stumbled on because if I had a whole drive to use, I would have gladly uh pulled the trigger and let it install. but trying to do multi boot on a given drive, uh I just wasn't confident how to do it, so I didn't do it.
2: got it
1: yeah, I think I had similar experience when I installed thirty pretty well at the beginning when we first started the show and reviewed it then twenty nine it was either twenty nine uh, I think it was 29 going up to 30. And yeah, they, I wouldn't say the um, uh, Anaconda is kind of the best for a new user. But for an experienced Linux user, like you say, Leo, it's uh, it's easy enough to get through once you figure out what everything is.
0: There are worse installers out there. There really are. <laughs> Open Susie has one. Uh, Calculate Linux has an installer that looks really simple, but by the time you're done, you've probably messed up something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely attest to the OpenSUSE one. Um, you end up with a ton of sub-volumes, which is now seeming to be the more uh, accepted way to do do living, breathing, organic kinds of partitioning schemes. So they're they the first to jump on that, but it's really confusing to someone that doesn't know what they're looking at. So yeah, and then uh, as far as the Fedora installer goes, uh, Tony, yeah, I think my ratings will agree with you on uh, how accessible it is.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So after the install, um, hardware facts and issues. Uh, it, It wasn't, none of this was huge game breaking or anything like that. But, you know, software is where you expect it to be and updates are dead simple. However, the update process is a little different from your typical Debian or Ubuntu install. I don't really think I have an actual opinion on whether or not this is the right way to do it. But you download them all in the GUI and then are prompted to reboot to allow the installation of the updates. Once you reboot... You just sit on a Fedora screen and it gives you progress. This is very much akin to the way that Mac does it when they have larger system updates. Now, not all updates are like this, but I think Fedora will try to get you to restart and install. I think that's actually what the button says too, as soon as you install some updates that might require a reboot. I don't know if it's saving you in any way, I mean, a non-bootable system is going to be a non-bootable system no matter what, whether or not you install it uh, pre-boot or not. But either way, it really kind of gave me a feeling of it's doing what it's supposed to do you know, behind the scenes and I don't have to think about it much. But it is a departure. So if you're coming from Ubuntu then you will be surprised to see this if you're not coming if you're coming from a windows or a mac background uh, it'll be pretty familiar so there there's not much change from those types of operating systems and and I guess it's it, it's a bit of a departure from ubuntu because ubuntu and debian like distros just install everything in the gui and totally forget about it and if you decide you want to reboot you can if you don't reboot well ubuntu's not going to complain about it so You've got to be – I think it's good on the Fedora side mostly because the Ubuntu distros, they don't remind you, hey, 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 you got to reboot this. Uh, Fedora tends to do that. They give you that, hey, you got to reboot, so do that.
0: Well, I usually get reminders, especially when you've installed an update to the kernel. But it's a reminder. It's do you want to do this now or it needs to be rebooted, uh, do it when you feel like it type thing.
2: Right. And, and the kernel is applied before you ever do that reboot or the, the grub changes are made before you ever do that reboot. It's, it feels like on Fedora, those grub changes aren't made until after you reboot, but before you boot to the new kernel uh, during that update process on that screen. So just a little bit of difference, I guess, in the way that um, the, the two groups feel like updates should be handled. And I, I don't know that one way is better than the other, to be honest. There was one other pretty glaring issue I ran into, and this speaks directly to people that are trying Fedora for the first time or are just new to Linux in general. So you might wanna perk up for this one if Fedora is on your plate. So here's the bombshell. Firefox is not capable of running H.264. Now that's nerd speak for Netflix, Plex, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Anything that you pay $9.99 for, you can't run it in Firefox. If you go out and get Chrome, it'll work. If you mess with Chromium, I think as long as the the Cisco pack of H.264 is installed, it'll work. But Firefox does not work. And there's no way without slight modification to the system that it will work. So, yeah, for a new user, this could make or break the experience, to be honest with you. If you're trying to use this as a daily driver and something to relax with, um, it's gonna take a little bit of doing. So it's not like new users just know that RPM fusion is a thing, or even know how to express the idea that that's what they need. However, if you hear this, this show, or stumble upon the right resources, which is what I think might more likely happen, you'll see that the ffmpeg libs package and its dependencies need to be installed. Once you do that, you're golden. So I've got in the show notes, um, how to install RPM fusion, which is, it's one big long command that adds both the non-free and the free uh, repositories. And then from there, you're able to access ffmpeg-libs and install that. This is really just coming from the way that Fedora looks at free software and what should be bundled and available with the system. So RPM Fusion is for all the stuff that Fedora is like, we can't package this for one reason or another. Maybe it's freedom, maybe it's preference, but RPM Fusion is where all that other stuff goes. So you can kind of think of RPM Fusion like multiverse in Ubuntu if you're familiar with those, uh, with that nomenclature.
1: I think I had a similar problem with Codex in when I was running uh, OpenSUSE. And I think it was a pretty well the same kind of fix that you had to do. Uh, I think I, I don't know whether it was RPM Fusion for Suze, but it was something similar. There was a bit of faffing around. It was it was actually um, one of the people off Biddle that uh, pointed me in the right direction because he's a big Suze user, ah. and. Um, I managed, and he's actually got a tutorial on his uh, web page, on his blog, on how to do it. But yeah, it's the same kind of thing. You, uh, not all the codecs are installed by default. and You have to go uh, do a bit of faffing around to get them all installed.
2: Yeah, I figure with, with all this information, I might as well write a blog post on how to do it. Even though the the information is out there. Uh, And this kind of goes toward the ease of finding stuff, uh, finding information about the distro. Um, It it was definitely there, but I did have to dig a little bit, which, um, you know, a new user's not going to know as much to be able to dig down and figure out, oh, yeah, this must actually be the way to do it. So, yeah, it it does hurt that score a little bit. The other software I installed, I tried to stick with Flatpak because this is... um, It seems to be that Fedora is really running full speed ahead with this Flatpak stuff. If you go into the software installer, it's the first thing that is selected when you try to install something, even if a DNF version or a repository version, I guess if if you're familiar with Ubuntu, the apt way to install something, even if that's available, the Flatpak version will be selected for you first. So I just let the experience be the experience and install stuff the way that Fedora wanted me to. So uh, that that is Mumble, Audacity, Discord, Telegram, Handbrake, Slack, Steam and OBS. This is pretty much all of the software that I need to do all the things that I do. Now, what's funny is I don't have Lutris listed on here but I do have Lutris installed and I'm pretty sure that was installed via Flatpak as well. So uh, I don't know how I, how I missed that one but I do talk about it a little bit later anyway. So I ended up having uh, to remove Audacity as a flat pack. All right, this one's a little different. Audacity had three different installer candidates, but only two showed up in the software installer. The first one was Fedora's own flat uh, flat pack repository. The alternative was the FlatHub flat pack repository. Neither of which worked for me. Um, the Original Fedora install. What ended up happening with that one was I could record stuff, and if I moved the the audio to a different machine, sounded fine. Everything was good on that. But if I ever played anything back in Audacity, it would come with a huge amount of static. I never could actually figure out what that was. I tried giving more permissions with flat seal. Uh, to the Flatpak, I was like, maybe it it doesn't have access to the audio, to to the full audio stack for some reason. I don't know why that would be its Audacity, Um, but that didn't seem to do anything. So I said, okay, let's remove that from Fedora, uh, from the Fedora Flatpak repository, and let's just try the one from FlatHub. So I installed that, and a different set of issues came up. The FlatHub Audacity just never wanted to pick up my audio hardware. It would see my, uh, my monitor, because my monitor had HDMI in audio or something like that. It's got audio devices and I think it's got a microphone built in. So it would see those, but it wouldn't actually use them. If you tried to get the microphone VU to you know tick around so you can see what the levels are looking like, it would just freeze, hang, and then ask you to force quit it. So I could never actually get Audacity to even slightly work from the FlatHub repo. So this is a ding toward the new user usability. Because the only way I could get Audacity to work was to remove the Flatpak, open up the terminal, and install Audacity via DNF. And a new user is not gonna know how to do that. But after that, everything worked. I, I cannot tell you why, but it worked. So, yeah. And, and I know it's not all audio. That's, that's one of the things that uh, I was testing around with as well. One of the things that I've picked up from Fedora is this little software called the Gnome Sound Recorder. If you've ever played on a Mac and have messed with their audio recording software, you know there's this little application and that's all it does. It's called uh, Voice Notes or something like that. You click on it, you record something, you tag it, you're done. And it's in a library and that's all that it is. That That's all it does. So I installed that from Flatpak. And this also is a a, a, a boon to flat pack, right? I mean, it's not flat pack that is broken with this Audacity thing. There's something else going on there. And it works. It works great. I recorded my audio. I've recorded a few things that my daughter wanted to say. And ev- the playback worked fine. Everything worked fine on that. So there's something up with Audacity. So this is not necessarily you know, an indictment of it's worse on Fedora as far as Audacity goes or something like that. There's just a bug somewhere in there because I can attest that Linux Mint also uses Flatpak. I've used the Audacity in Flatpak and it seems to work. So I'm not sure where the issue lies. Anyhow, ease of use. Once the distros installed, things are very easy to use if you are even remotely familiar with the GNOME desktop, and most probably are since Ubuntu ships with it by default, Fedora ships with it by default, uh, I think most major distributions will headline GNOME as their desktop environment. So it's what you expect. There's really nothing terribly new about it. If you're coming from Ubuntu GNOME, then you'll notice a few differences, right? I mean, there's no persistent panel on the left-hand side. It's just vanilla GNOME. So if you're familiar with vanilla GNOME, you'll you'll feel right at home.
0: I prefer strawberry.
2: Ooh, yeah, that's not bad either. It, so would Ubuntu be strawberry?
0: No, I I'd say strawberry is uh
2: um uh, Pop O S. Ah, okay. All right. A little bit of flair there, huh? Not too plain. Alright, so for memory use I wanted to give you a snapshot of what it looked like while being used. Now, keep in mind, I've got 32 gigs of RAM, so I think Linux really likes to spread its wings when you have a lot of RAM. Like, looking at my laptop now, this is not Fedora, this is Kubuntu, but looking at my laptop now, it's got nine gigs in cache. So, yeah, Linux likes to spread its wings. But in Fedora, While I was writing these notes, I was listening to music in YouTube. I had a few different apps open. Uh, I was opening and closing apps back and forth to make sure I I knew kind of what their memory footprint was. Um, I wanted to make sure that everything started up every single time. And I got a grand total of 3.3 gigs used and 2.9 gigs in cash. So for a total of about six gigs. And it sounds like a lot and when trying to maintain a minimal distro, it is. But for modern modern systems, it's fine. Eight gigs of RAM is pretty much the standard now. So I bought a laptop back in, uh, or I bought a 2015 vintage laptop and it came with eight gigs out of the box. And I think that seems to be pretty normal now. Uh, as long as you're not buying the blue light special, that's pretty much what it'll have. Older hardware may struggle a bit and swap way more. So if you're running on four gigs of RAM, be prepared, you're gonna be swapping a lot. Your, your RAM will fill up and it will have to write some of that stuff to disk and then have to swap that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So if you have a fast disk though, you're not gonna notice it as much. And since SSDs are cheap and storage upgrades are for the most part easy on some laptops and definitely desktops, it can be overcome without too much pain. If you have low amounts of RAM, no SSD, use tons of applications and no hardware experience, you're gonna run into issues that you cannot solve. Though uh, this would stay true on Ubuntu as well. So, so this is not a, a Fedora dig, this is more of a GNOME and your usage habits kind of, uh, uh, kind of thing. So finding help. I didn't interact with anybody directly. In the community, I I, I find I, I found other people asking the questions that I wanted the answers to, and so I kind of took notes from h- how the interaction went really, um, and it seems like I think all Linux communities are like this. You're gonna have a mix of people that have been using Fedora for forever that huff and puff and tell you that I don't know how you didn't know this, I don't know how you didn't Google this already, I didn't, I don't know how you whatever, right? That it that totally exists just as it does in every other community. Um, but you also have these awesome, really helpful people that will come and swoop in and ask you a million different questions to get to the heart of your issue and tell you exactly how to fix it. So as far as that goes, it was great. I didn't, fi- I didn't have any hardware support issues, so you know I didn't have to go looking for anything like that. But I did have that Firefox issue with sixty four, and that's really what, um, what I got my experience uh, of the community from. And, and it really, yeah, that, that whole issue is this philosophical. So you've got the people that are always reminding you that, hey, when you install RPM Fusion, this is outside of the bounds of what Fedora stands for, what Fedora is doing. So, you know, be aware of that. But the short and sweet of it is it's easy to find information um, because I think the Fedora group is large enough that, you know, most of the questions that that need to be answered have already been asked and answered. So. The Fedora folk, they're a fine bunch. Now, I can't tell you whether Fedora plays nice with others uh, because I think this is a question that is, that is really kind of honed in on can you install it alongside other distros and it won't just totally you know, slap grub upside the head and break everything, right? So I suspect that it will, though, but uh, you'll need to be in that experienced partitioner uh, grouping to really make it work the way you might expect uh, you want it to. So, and and the reason that I have this point of view is because I don't typically install more than one OS on a disc. I don't do side by side installs uh, very often. So yeah, I just don't have that, um, have that experience. And I tend to run legacy boot as well. So I don't have as many UEFI issues as MOS tends to. Um, To be honest, I'm really not that familiar with it. So uh, I, I couldn't give you much insight on that side either.
0: Stop picking on me.
2: No, no, this is, this is, uh, you know more than me as far as boots go because I tend to just fall back to legacy because I know how it works. I know what the process is. I know where to put the bootloader, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm very familiar with it. So I'm reluctant to let it go in favor of a mm, BIOS controlled software that, I don't know, it seems like firmware updates can just blow out of the water. So.
1: I'm with you on that one, Leah. <laughs> yeah,
2: legacy's legacy for a reason. They'd have taken it out if it weren't worth its salt. So anyway, uh, the idea with that whole legacy boot thing is I can just plop a Linux distro on a disk, add the bootloader, and boot from the disk when needed. So that I think that's just the graybeard in me. What I can shed some light on, though, is the gaming aspect. I've also got the perspective of having gamed on both Fedora 31 and 32. Man did the upgrade make all the difference. I played a handful of games over various solutions, Lutris, Steam and Proton, or Steam with Proton, and of course native games. So World of Warcraft, Path of Exile, Brawlhalla, uh, Dawn of War 3, and OpenRA. For World of Warcraft, I needed Lutris, Wine and Vulcan Drivers. It's the main game that I play and I suspect that installing Lutris and some of the uh, the dependencies that Vulcan is going to need really kind of fixed any issue I might have possibly run into with Steam. So looking back on it, I probably would have installed Steam first and given those games a try first, but I don't play those games as much as I do WoW, so it kind of tainted the way that uh, that I went through this um, this process. So if you are looking to play Steam games and you run into some issues uh, in The show notes here, I've got the packages that I've installed uh, that may have helped me sidestep anything. So Lutris, I installed it from Gnome Software. It was uh, the Flatpak version, but the Battle.net app, which launches World of Warcraft needed a few different things. I've got those listed like GNU Utils and OpenLDAP and a few other things, SQLite. Um, I needed to install Wine as well. There is no do you want wine, wine staging, or wine development in Fedora? That question is just straight up answered for you by just install wine. So there is no confusion. So as far as that goes, that is way easier to deal with than any Debian derivative because there is no wine staging to install. So you just install wine and it stays fairly up to date with where wine staging is. I think they're on 5.7 now, which is current. So that, I think, is a real checkbox in the Fedora uh, in the Fedora category. And then of course, you got to install Vulcan Loader and Vulcan Loader i686 to make DXVK work. Uh, that does install a few dependencies. So yeah, that, that seems to be it. But my experience was they were already installed. I don't know which package installed it because I went back and looked at both um, the things that I installed for the Battle.net launcher and the things that I installed for Wine and neither of them pulled in those, uh, those particular things. So that might be a meta package where, you know, it refers to a bunch of other packages or it might just be installed by default. So yeah, that was already done for you. the, the, that was it that was the difficulty of getting gaming working and you don't even have to do that if you're not playing games through lutris so well world of warcraft specifically but most lutris games have uh, a bit of a process like that so the verdict on world of warcraft the game worked great but with the performance i'd expected with mesa 19.2 a bit choppy at the beginning so when you log into the game it's a little choppy but smooths out over about five to ten minutes once you've been playing the game for about five minutes everything speeds up and it's very playable uh, all the way up to five-man dungeons, so uh, you're you're pretty decent. Once you get past that, once you get 10 people in a group or 20 people in a group, 25 people as in a raid or something like that, it's going to get chopped. In Fedora 32, so I, I ran the upgrade, got to Fedora 32, I ended up with a new Mesa, which is really the, the, the superhero of all of these games. The choppiness is almost non-existent in the world. When you log in, we're talking maybe five seconds of choppiness and everything starts to smooth out. So thanks to Mesa 20 that is bundled in Fedora 32, gaming in World of Warcraft anyway is amazing. I didn't try a raid, but I suspect it would be playable. Next game I played was Path of Exile. It's Windows only and installed via Steam. So that means I use Proton to play it. The setup for that in Steam is basically just go to the settings and check a box. That box is Steam play for all other titles. That's, that's literally all you got to do. Then you restart Steam and you can play all your Windows games through Proton. Good or bad, it allows you to play them. Now, as far as good or bad goes, Path of Exile, bad. It suffers the same issues that World of Warcraft does. Right when you launch the game, it stutters. But this is an unbearable stutter. You're not getting anywhere in this game at all. And this is in Fedora 31. So you're on Mesa 19, and I think that's really where some of the issue lies. Uh but upgrading to Fedora 32, that didn't really fix much. So if you take a peek at the forums though, the performance issues aren't just confined to Linux. Windows users have ton of performance issues as well. So this game is just not necessarily optimized for any platform. But I think because of that Linux suffers much, much more because it's trying to convert these bad uh, DirectX system calls to Lutris in the first place, and because those are written so badly or because those have such a, uh, a huge performance impact, you're really just getting hit double with a lot of that. So the uh, the verdict on that one was, eh, it's garbage. Uh, and this is coming from uh, taking verbiage from ProtonDB. It's garbage. There's no way you can play that. I, I got out into the world, uh, tried to do something in the very first level, and it was stuttering so badly I died and I didn't even realize it. So <laughs> that not working. But I think this is more Path of Exile than it is Proton. But yeah, the translation through DXVK is really where, uh, where everything started to fall flat. Brawlhalla, another Windows game. That uh, I did with Proton, so same version of Proton that I played with uh, Path of Exile with worked perfectly. This is on Fedora 31, and then I upgraded to Fedora 32, still works perfectly. So Brawlhalla, if you're trying to play that on Windows or on uh, on any Linux distro, you'll probably have a really good time, and Fedora is no different. Don't War Three. Now we're getting into the native games. So this one runs natively on uh, on Linux, so I expected it to work, and it did in Fedora 31. The menus can be a little slow, but once game once the game starts, everything flattens out after about a minute and works great. Uh, I played mostly two v two matches, so those those battles can get quite big. This is an uh, this is a uh, RTS, so a real time strategy game where you're commanding a bunch of little troops to go do different things. But even during the bigger battles, the frame rate was pretty steady, and I was I was very impressed with that because of the performance that I've seen out of Mesa 19. After upgrading to Fedora 32. Smooth as butter. There was nothing that I would change about the experience of Dawn of War 3 after upgrading to Fedora 32. So if you're looking to play Dawn of War 3, Fedora 32 is a perfect platform to play it on. Now, last on the list, OpenRA. Another real-time strategy game, but this one is 1991 vintage it's a it's a game that comes from command and conquer they have uh, recoded the entire engine reimported all of the sprites into the game so it's it's command and conquer the original uh, the original couple I think that's uh command and conquer Tiberian dawn the very first one command and conquer 95 is what it was called originally or gold and then red alert uh, those two games are kind of smashed into one and recoded but that works perfectly. This this game has worked on every platform I've ever tried it on, no matter how low-powered, no matter how, you know, the hardware setup does not matter to this at all. And it just works. So I was pretty happy with it. And that was before and after Fedora 32. So stability, rock solid. I did not have this thing lock up on me once. Outside of the Audacity weirdness, there were no application crashes whatsoever. But I did run into this weird issue where... Every now and then, and it wasn't every single day either, up in the notification area, it would just say, hey, the kernel crashed. I'm not going to send anything because I don't know what that meant, but the kernel crashed. And I just sat there scratching my head. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't know why the kernel crashed. And it seemed like the kernel dump, the, the log of the kernel crash was just unusable. So there was nothing to report. Maybe he ran out of chicken. I guess so. That must be what it is. I have no idea. But, you know, it didn't affect the, I mean, the overall stability. You know, I didn't notice the kernel crashing. I just saw a message that said that it crashed. Huh. I don't know. So as far as the experience goes, it was really good. I'm having a real hard time deciding when to take Fedora off my system. I I think I'm leaning toward don't do that. So similar distros to check out, the Fedora spins. Now Fedora does spins the same way that Ubuntu does flavors. So if you like what you hear, but you just absolutely hate gnome, you've got choices. There's a KDE spin and uh, LXDE spin, uh XFCE spin, right? All typically all the desktop environments are available. All the mainstream ones are available. So you can just go pick up that spin and not have to deal with gnome, but I suspect you'll have very similar experience.
0: I would also suggest other DNF uh, distros such as OpenMandriva 4.1.
2: Good call. I don't have much experience outside of the Debian ecosystem, so I wasn't quite sure what to recommend on here, but uh, the spins seem like a pretty good choice. And Mandriva added to the list. So yeah, GNOME's still not for me. And uh, the fact that I can sit here and say, I don't like it, I'll use something else is nothing short of amazing. I love Linux and the projects surrounding it. So on to the ratings. Let's finish this thing up. Ease of installation for a new user, 5 out of 10. Ooh, I feel like that, I don't I don't know. Is that the worst rating on the whole show? It could be.
0: <laughs> could be, but then we haven't reviewed uh, Fedora. I haven't reviewed Fedora because I couldn't get it to install. Uh, ditto for, um, I would say OpenSUSE would have a lower new user rating. <laughs> ah,
2: all right. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty confident saying about a 5 out of 10. I mean, you'd be able to get through it as long as you click the right things, you know, even if you don't know what you're doing. But still, the fact that it's so hard to get through, even for someone that has some experience with Anaconda, is a little daunting. I know it would be daunting for a new user. So, yeah, I think they've earned that 5 out of 10. But I don't know that Fedora is targeted at new users. Experienced users, however, 9 out of 10. You know where things are, partition's a partition, so as long as you can kind of figure out what the installer's trying to tell you, you'll have a really easy time getting stuff set up. Hardware issues, none. Uh, I forgot to mention, uh, I plugged in a Bluetooth dongle that I got off Amazon for $9.99 and everything just paired up with it. Multiple things paired up with a single Bluetooth uh, dongle and just worked, so yeah. No hardware issues to speak of. Ease of finding community help, nine out of 10. Every question I had was answered within the first three Google results. So yeah, it was really easy to find the information. I didn't see any mudslinging when I was going through all of that. So it seems like the community is pretty amicable. Overall, it was just, it was a nice experience. It was the experience I expected from a distribution series like Ubuntu. You know, you've got that community around it. Ease of use, nine out of 10. Uh, Because of the weird software issues I ran into, and because I had to dig down a little bit to fix some things, that really kind of hinders the ease of use. But even if you run into that RPM Fusion thing, it's pretty easy to get it done. RPM Fusion gives you really good instructions on how to install it. The problem with that is finding those instructions in the first place. Gaming ease. This is gonna score higher, if I were to do this same review, using Ubuntu 2004, this would get a higher score, Fedora would, just simply because it has a newer kernel, it has a newer Mesa, it has all the bits that you need pretty much ready to go before you even get started. With Ubuntu, I would probably still, even the newest Ubuntu 2004, I would probably still have to install a newer kernel to get things working the way that I want. So gaming ease, way higher in Fedora. So nine out of 10 there. Stability, outside of those weird little kernel things, yeah, 10 out of 10. I didn't have a single lockup during the entire time. So my overall rating, I couldn't decide. So I think I'm going to say 8.5. I have 8 to 9, somewhere in there. 8.5, I think, is a pretty solid rating for a distribution. You just got to have a little bit of experience to get through that partitioner without too much issue. But if you can get past that partitioner, you're going to have a really good time. So my final comments, Fedora's fantastic. It's well put together and works the way you expect it to. If it weren't for an installer that can cause a little confusion when it comes to partitioning, it would be ideal. It could almost be recommended as a beginner distro, but that's fine. Fedora is great, just the way that it is. And that's it for me.
0: Thank you, Leo. Well, and I am going to run down Ubuntu Mate 20.04. My hardware, I ran this on a System76 Kudu 3 with 16 gigs of RAM and a 256 gig SSD with 6th generation i7 and the Intel graphics chipset. I also gave Ubuntu Studio 2004 a try on my Galago Pro 2. I still didn't like the way they implemented K- XFCE, so I switched to Kubuntu 20.04 and added the studio tools. I'm still using that, but I'm not going to cover that in this review. Installation was as smooth as can be for Ubiquity installer, which is my choice for the second best installer for newer users. Nothing to report out of the ordinary. Post-installation hardware facts and issues? It was like revisiting an old friend, one with nothing to offer except solidity. Nothing went wrong. For some reason, Clementine went wonky on me and I had to use another music player. The same thing happened to Sneaky Linux when he reviewed Xubuntu 2004, so it's probably one of those overlooked things on the new LTS. My biggest peeve, the icons for end the current session, lock screen, and turn off the device are different from those used in the past or in other distros, are not evocative of those features in any way and are tinier than ever. This is a serious problem for visually impaired people. One of the listeners in the Telegram group told me I could put a shut-off widget on the taskbar. I looked at that and found it to be the same icon I didn't understand already and was not significantly larger. Ease of use. This is going to be a boring review I can tell already. Everything works exactly the way you'd expect, and Mate makes it easy for both new and experienced users. Memory use after booting Stacer reported 880 megabytes of RAM use. This is not nearly as light as Plasma or Xfce, but still quite a bit better than GNOME. Total disk use as installed is 10 gigabytes. With four tabs open in Firefox, RAM usage was 1.4 gigabytes. Closing Firefox and waiting two minutes saw it return to 860. Another time I closed Firefox, it dropped to 744. I moved Firefox to a separate workspace and it briefly jumped to 2.0 gigs and then settled back down to 1.8. So this is not a distro to use if you only have 2 gigs of RAM, but you should be fine with at least 4 gigs of RAM unless you're doing heavy lifting in your other uses, in which case you probably shouldn't have a 4 gig machine in the first place. Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. (laughs) Ease of finding help. There is nothing easier to find than help with Ubuntu distros. There are the official forums, the Ask Ubuntu website, all the various Telegram and Discord groups, and just about anybody who has ever used Ubuntu. Bug reports are getting easier to do, although they're still working on making them easier. For some reason, I did not get much response from my reporting of the Clementine problem other than one person postulating that I probably had too large a music library, which is an issue Clementine was specifically created to deal with. Sneaky Linux just used Strawberry Player to deal with it, and after hearing that, so did I. Plays nice with others. This is a strong point for Buntus. Grub Customizer has been in the repo since 18.10 and was easily installed as a PPA since 16.04 at least. Also, I learned a neat trick with installation of distros using a Ubiquity Installer, where you open a terminal on the live disk and type a simple command, resulting in Grub not being installed so you have nothing to fix. This is for multi-booters only, people. If you're just installing the one distro, install your Grub. Just go to the distro you have controlling Grub and run Grub Customizer to get the new installation included on the menu and move to where you want it. Stability. You've heard it here many times already. It's Ubuntu, and nothing short of Debian itself is more stable. Similar distros to check out. Any other Ubuntu? Linux Mint Mate. Any other ideas on that, Tony?
1: It's difficult because there's quite a lot of uh, other distros based on Ubuntu. So I I would say anything that's Ubuntu-based uh, is going to be fairly stable. But you may want to check out some of the other uh, Debian spins that uh, add a few tweaks. Right. You know, Q4 OS uh, is one to say, say as well because it's based on... Uh, testing and uh, as i've already said it's pretty stable i
0: generally uh use this section to say other things that look like the desktop being used but that's okay we can talk about plasma if you want (laughs) 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 ratings ease of installation for a new user 8 out of 10 experienced user 9 out of 10 hardware issues 9 out of 10 ease of finding help in the community or on the web 10 out of 10 Ease of use nine out of ten plays nice with others ten out of ten stability ten out of ten overall rating nine out of ten you know if they had make those exit icons easier to read I might have given it a ten but people are talking to me like oh it's the way it's always been and it hasn't been always that way they and it's not that way in Linux Mint Mate you get clear easy to recognize icons. Final comments. This installation just felt familiar like an old shirt. Nothing remarkable, but it felt like it would do anything I asked it to without error or complaint. Just stay away from the Clementine music player until they've had to, time to figure out what the problem is. For information on other Buntus, check out episode 334.5 of Mintcast.
1: That must have been one of your most concise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of raced through that. Ever because I? it's so stable. <laughs>
0: There's nothing to report. It worked. Everything worked. Everything worked easily. Everything worked exactly the way you expected it to. What are you going to talk about?
2: Man, that that makes my section humongous in comparison.
0: <laughs> That's all right. Anything With you on here, it's going to be humongous anyhow. Aw, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our shows usually are under 40 minutes.
1: I was going to say it's a good job you were here, Leo, because we'd have probably been over in about 25 minutes if it hadn't been for you being (laughs) here.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm glad I could help bulk up the show.
0: Our shows run 25 to 45 minutes, and right now, without editing, we're at an hour 20, and we're not done yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. New releases this month from April 8th to May 10th, Endeavour OS 2020.05.08, Debian Edu 10.4.0, Debian 10.4.0, AV Lin- Linux. It said Linu, unless I deleted an X in there. Let's call it AV Linux and get away with murder here. 2020.5.10, Zential Server 6.2, ELive 3.8.12, KDE Neon 2020.05.07. Rebecca Black OS 2020 05 05, Linux FX 10.1, Dragonfly 5.8.1, Volumio 2.773, Clonezilla 2.6.6 15, Tails 4.6, Tens 3.0.1, Neth Server 7.8, Sparky Linux 2020.05, Open Indiana 2020.04, which is a fork of Open Solaris. PC Linux OS 2020.05 Arch Labs 2020.05.04 Ufficio 0.1.1 Turnkey 16.0 KOS 2020.05 Academics 2.5 Archman 2020-05 Mete Luninux 20.04 GhostBSD 20.04.1 Endless OS 3.8.0 Elementary OS 5.1.4, Simplicity Linux 20.4, Pop OS 20.04, Parrot 4.9, Voyager Live 20.04, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.2, Fedora 32, CentOS 7.8.2003, Manjaro Linux 20.0, Ubuntu Budgie 20.04, Xubuntu 20.04, Ubuntu Chillin 20.04, Ubuntu Mate 20.04, Kubuntu 20.04, Ubuntu Studio 20.04, Ubuntu 20.04, Lubuntu 20.04, NixOS 20.03, Archman GNU Linux 20-04, GUIX System 1.1.0, Endeavor OS 2020.04.11, and react os 0.4.13 still in alpha
1: that's one hell of a list it is (laughs) things have picked
0: up In feedback, Tony and I haven't seen anything in our channels that needs discussion here, but the chat is always lively on our Telegram group and in the DHD public area of the Mintcast Discord. So come on in and join us. Londoner, Cryptodandale, Dale, Miracle, Joshua, Hawk, myself, and others have a grand time in there, with more activity at times from our 23 members than some other groups I'm in with a thousand or more members. <laughs> Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors or by direct donations through sponsors or PayPal. I now have one regular sponsor. Many thanks to SK Beans for joining up. I also received a rebuilt LG Bluetooth headset this past month from Joe Boylan, and I'm keeping Jackie Moore in my thoughts with hopes for a swift recovery. I'm very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. We would like to thank Hacker Public Radio for our use of their mumble room those times when Mintcast's mumble is not working. Our next show will be recorded on or about June 15th, 2020. Visit our website at https colon slash slash and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, Mintcast Discord, and at our Telegram and WeWe groups please contact us at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com if you have any comments or suggestions.
1: And also, before we go, can we say a big thank you to Leo for joining us and doing a guest review this month? Thanks,
2: Leo. You're welcome. Glad to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, if this ever comes over again, I might try it again.
0: We might have to get you on at least once a year to do gaming re- critiques.
2: You know, that might be fun. I would, I would definitely say yes. It's been good having you with thank us. Thank you, thank you. It's been great here.
1: We would like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with Hacker Public Radio for allowing us to use their mumble server.
0: Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program.
1: Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show.
0: Joshua Lowe for work on our logo.
1: All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros, we have reviewed this episode.
0: Mid-Air Machine creators of the Song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license.
1: Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU Toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libra software.
0: And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord and Telegram channels and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening.